Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. I hear what God is saying through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much, Paul. Good morning, everybody. It's really good to be with you. Um, let me give you a little bit of a wider introduction to who I am. So as you can tell from my dulcet tones, I was born in Dagenham. That normally gets a cheer. Or oh, someone clapped. Do you come from Dagenham? Oh. So, well, we prefer to call it Darzen Harm, actually, because it sounds a little bit more sophisticated. Uh, so I come from Dagenham. Uh, as my dad got promoted in the Met Police, he was a detective. He was a, an armed flying squad detective, actually. And then uh, was in the regional crime squad and the murder squad. As he got promoted, we moved further up the A12. So I ended up in the dizzy heights of Hornchurch, Wantford, and then Brentwood. <laughs> so I feel quite at home here, let's just say that. So that's us. Uh, I'm married to Karen. I'm going to tell a bit more of my story tonight to the fellas. We've been married for 28 years, been together for 32 years. Uh, I met her in church. I wasn't a Christian. I got invited by a mate and I saw a good looking girl. So uh, I asked her out that night actually. I said, I think I'd be very good for you. Uh, Let me take you out to the deep pan pizza factory in Romford. I know how to treat a lady. And she said, no, I only go out with Christians. I said, I am one. I'm British. But she... A true story, but she saw through me. So I actually researched how people become Christians, and I faked being Cliff Richard the next week. Said I met the Lord. She still declined. Six months later, gave me life to Christ. We ended up uh, together, and uh, we are now um, with two adult daughters. I've got one who is just about to finish, praise the Lord, because it's phenomenally expensive, uh, training to be a vet in Royal Veterinary College. Uh, only a few months ago, praise the Lord. And I've got another one who's a tattoo artist. How does that even happen? You bring them both up the same. You put the same values in, the, the same everything, and one's a super academic and the other one lives in Narnia. How does that happen? So that's me. I've also got a dog. I did have a German shepherd. I've now got a cavapoo. The thinks is the thinks it's a wolf. But I haven't told it it's 75% toy poodle. I don't want to crush it. I've got a tortoise called Gary, dog called Douglas, and a cat called Spencer. And I live in a place called Staveley. There are two Staveleys in the UK. There is one in the Lake District with rolling hills and beautiful lakes and clotted cream tea shops. And there's one that's an ex-battered mining community in Derbyshire. I'll let you guess which one I live in. So I live in Staveley, where I'm pioneering submission. On a serious note, uh, the community... So we run uh, Edge Ministries, some rescue centres in our HQ in areas of super deprivation. There's like 38,500 council wards. We work in sort of the bottom 1,500. So that's where I live, where I work, and where we're running a network of churches around the country, uh, focused on planting and establishing ministry in the most forgotten places. So to put it in context... Uh, just to give you a wider, to widen your aperture, so to speak, there are 20,000 people living in Staveley. When we got there, there were less than 60 people going to evangelical churches. Uh, 45% of people are illiterate, 33% of kids are under the poverty line, and we, we set our hearts to uh, move there 
and uh, make our, the rest of our lives there and to pioneer mission amongst broken people. So I, I said to Paul when I got here, I'm only good at three things really these days. I did have a wider ministry at one point, but I'm only really good at talking about Jesus to poor or to blokes. Outside of that, I'm honestly phenomenally rubbish. So that's me focus. I'm a three-trick pony. Um, so I'm going to deliver one of those ponies today. Um, suffice to say, um, for me, everything is about Christ. I'm known, for, I'm known for men's ministry. You know, I did many years of men's ministry. I'm still involved in that. Me and Simon dabbling that a little bit together. Um, I run a thing called The Gathering, uh, which has seen over 1,000 or 1,300 blokes come to Christ. Now, it's all great stuff. Um, in fact, it can be quite interesting. I was once introduced at the big top in New Winers. This is Cole Beach. He has a huge passion for men. Let me tell you, that can actually be quite awkward at times in certain circles. But what I have seen... What I have seen since age 18, and I'm now, this is going to shock you, nearly 51. I know you're thinking, how, how can this be? How can you have such old daughters? It's the joy of the Lord and a clean conscience. That's what keeps you looking youthful. Uh, I've seen the power of Jesus changing lives in a most phenomenal way. A few years ago, I was in Belfast. I love Belfast. I love a Belfast... Fr- what? Come from Dagenham? <laughs> Does anyone else get heckled? I get this everywhere. Everywhere I go, I seem to have like a heckle style. It's really odd. Anyway, I mean, keep it going. I like it. I do like a bit of bants. So I was in Belfast a few years back, and I found myself in this little living room. Two blokes and me. And they, one of them was an ex-provisional IRA terrorist. And the other one had been in what was formerly known as the RUC, as a detective, a counter-terrorist detective. And they're sitting there in this living room together, having a brew and a bit of fruitcake. And one of them said, Beachy, which is what most people call me, apart from my mum, Beachy, We used to hunt each other on the streets of Belfast. And now we pray together. I'm like, wow. I said, why did you pray together? He goes, because I'm on the men's breakfast planning committee. (laughs) But I'm like, wow. Only Jesus, right? Only Jesus can do that. I've I've had the privilege of just traveling around and witnessing this amazing reconciliation and changed hearts. One time, my wife, Karen, used to, she's not like a Karen, Karen. She's a really gentle Karen, actually. It's such an injustice. She's like the most peaceful person you'd ever meet. Anyway, uh, Karen used to be my PA uh, many years ago. I mean, that's, that's an interesting ride, that, like when your wife's your PA. So uh, she had sent me, she had sent me away to the Netherlands for 10 days. You sort of think, am I in a doghouse? And I just didn't. She's just not into confrontation. You just get sent away. So I'm in the Netherlands for 10 days. And then I got back to Skipo Airport. And in my diary on my phone was to go and speak at a place called Barrow on Saw that night. So I'm flying back from Skipo to East Midlands Airport, where I live near Chesterfield, or Ches Vegas, as we prefer to call it. 
And, and I'm looking at my door and think, I've got to get home. I've got like an hour to turn myself around. Has anyone ever heard of Barrow on saw? Why? What? I don't think I want to know. Anyway, so um, I'm just like, why? So I fly home and, I, and I'm a bit grumpy. I know it's hard for you to believe. I'm generally speaking a man full of joy. And I said, Karen, Karen, why, you, why am I going to Baron Sword? So it was a power move. She said, I felt the Lord wanted you to go as I prayed about it. It was a last minute booking. I thought that is so high and mighty. How can you argue against that? So anyway, I had a quick shower, turned myself around and drove down to Baron Sword for what was a curry night. For the guys. After I've been away for 10 days, curry is the new quiche in Christendom. You get curry everywhere. I'm sick of it. I mean, let's do something else. Let's forget the curry. Let's move on. It's a new couple of decades. Oh, goodness sake. Fed up with it. So I'm driving down there, and I turn up. I'm always early for everything. And when I turn up, the organiser's there. I said, hello, mate. He said, oh, hello, BG. I said, how many people you got coming tonight? He said, we can only fit 25 in, might have 20. I went, all right. He said, what do you want me to do? He said, preach the gospel. I went, fantastic, I can do that. I said, how long have I got? He said, 10, 15 minutes. I thought, 10, 15 minutes? Just come back from the Netherlands. Didn't say that, just kept smiling. And then I said, uh, how, many, how many people you got going who aren't Christians? He said, I think they're all saved. I went, what do you want to preach the gospel for then? So I'm trying to redeem this situation. And I said, what's on the menu? And he went, chicken booner and a naan bread. I said, what if you don't like chicken booner? And he went, you have a naan bread. That's actually what happened. So I'm sitting there and I'm grumpy. And then long story short, me mate Paul Gas comes in. You must meet Gasky one day. He's a phenomenal member of Christian Vision for Men. He's an ex-counterterrorism um, vice squad detective, actually. And at the time, he was working for the Home Office. And he looks like a pit bull who swallowed a wasp. He really does. And he's very effervescent. And he came in and he sat down opposite me. And he was followed by a bloke who looked like a Bond villain. I've actually got the photos on my phone if you want to challenge me on this. I'll happily show you after. This bloke came in looking like, like you know, like that Jaws bloke, bald, you know, of the Bond film. And he, he sat down in front of me with Gasky. I went, hello, mate. And he just went, <clears throat> I went great. So anyway, they had me naan bread and uh, stood up and I gave a 10-minute talk. This is Jesus. This is the cross. He died for you. He rose again. That's it. Job done. Ten minutes. Sat down. Obedient to time. I normally am. And uh, I sat down, and I went to the bloke. What do you think of the talk? He said, mm, fantastic. So I jumped up, thought I'd have a quick half a Diet Coke before I drive back home. And this bloke followed me. He's a big unit. He's about six foot three. Big guy. I'm five for eight and a half. The half is significantly important to me. And, and, he, and he's looking over me and he went, you're Jesus. You're Jesus. That's interesting. You're Jesus. Can he forgive anybody? And I went, yes. He went, how does he do that? And I went, didn't you listen to what I said? <laughs> and he went, hmm. can Jesus forgive a Nazi Gas Jews to death. I went, of course he can. Of course he can. He went, how? And I went, I, I said to you, didn't you listen? This is how. I gave him a quick run through again, a couple of minutes. And he span on his heel 
and he walks out the uh, curry house. Gasky comes bounding over, very effervescent character. He goes, <laughs> he went in front of everyone, little curry house. Significant, he went, very significant, significant. That is a very significant conversation, eh? significant. I went, what is significant? And he went, he's a general in a neo-Nazi terrorist unit and he's currently living in a safe house in Barrow-on-Saw. Apparently, that's where the safe houses were until I started talking about it. But <laughs> Anyway, I said to him, you could have told me that before I got in his face. Anyway, turns out the next morning, this guy who was a terrorist, who has been debriefed by the Home Office, who had been arrested at gunpoint, planting a pipe bomb at a pride rally. Turns out the next morning, he goes out, and he's prowling the streets on Barrow on Saw early. And Barrow on Saw's got a canal, curry house, a pub, and a Baptist church. A few houses. Sees the lights on in the Baptist church. And he walks in. The Baptist minister's in there, unbelievably doing his word for today or whatever it was. Imagine this. You're the Baptist leader in Sleepy Barrow on Saw. And suddenly this, this hulking, menacing bloke comes in, stood behind you and went, I heard the message of Jesus last night. Is it true? Thankfully, he was a proper pastor and he knew the gospel and he said it is and he led him to Christ there and then. Guy gets on his knees. Unbelievably, apparently, so he tells me now, overcome by the presence of God. Within 18 months, he preached the gospel on Holocaust Memorial Day to 1,500 people. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He came to the gathering. I've got a photo of him kneeling at the front with people, praying with a black guy that he'd led to Christ. Now, I'm saying a black guy because he sent a rifle bullet to every significant black media personality that was around, threatening to kill him. That was a transformation. And let me tell you that no self-help book, no CD of self-hypnosis, will change your thoughts and your destiny like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing. I don't care what you say, nothing. It is the most powerful message in the universe. Only the gospel. Only the gospel will change both your life and your destiny. And if, if the church imbibed that truth and we got on the front foot of Jesus' purposes and we lived it and we let our light shine, we would see transformation all over the place. Jesus said this in John 6, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever, ever be thirsty again. When we hear these stories... And they are not made up stories or parables. I hate using imperatives, but it's great that we clap. But we should be stamping our feet and jumping up and down and crying for joy because someone who has lost has been found. And it's a demonstration that a guy like me is an ordinary bloke, nothing special about him, from Romford could be saved and so can a terrorist and so can your neighbour, Maureen. That everyone can have their life and their destiny changed and step into the fullness of what God's got for them. As I said to you, I work in a, a very, very tough context, but it's, it's beautiful. Uh, it's, the people are precious. Uh, 
I mean, we call it reaching forgotten people in forgotten places. There are millions of places, uh, people around the UK that have no gospel witness near them at all. And I've just set my heart and mind and my determination to try and unlock that. And often the churches are running towards where there's resource and all that kind of stuff. I'm trying to run at the places where there's no resource and hustle and duck and dive and try and do stuff. We have seen some miracles happen, actually. Um, so we operate uh, three centres now, and we're, we're seeing some beautiful things happen. But at the top of my road, um, I live in this council area. Look, let me tell you a little bit what it's like. If you live three miles west of me, you live 10 years longer. And you live 30 years longer without chronic health problems. By the time in my community you're hitting 50, you might have some serious snags. We've got the highest instances of uh, autism in the country. And some of the highest instances of additional needs because um, partly there is a place called Staveley Works. And um, Staveley Works was chemicals, bricks and coking. They used to set an alarm off as recently as 2016 when the chemical cloud came out of the sky to get the kids in out of the playground. I mean, it's diabolical. And they just put up with it. And the pharmaceutical company dealt in benzenes, PCBs. And PCBs are one of the most primary causes of rare cancer, heart defects and autism. Uh, uh, the community is decimated. If I could show you the parade of shops, it looks like something out of Haiti. I mean, it's honestly battered and forgotten and overlooked. And they pay more council tax than the people who live three miles west. And they get less spent on education and health. It is, these communities are beset by injustice. I'm not standing here as some kind of mad socialist. I just want to bring the gospel to people and help people. So as part of what we do... To bring Christ to people, we've got to help people at their point of need. So it's housing, health, education, drug, alcohol, detox, all that kind of stuff. And it needs people who are determined to live there and, and live and shine brightly and lead consecrated lives. And holiness and personal holiness is so important, living out in these areas. So we set up these rescue centres. We, we try and hustle and get hold of buildings, which we've been able to by hook or by crook. And we create open living rooms, places of constant welcome and hospitality. Because people don't go into each other's homes. They're quite poor, and often they're not very nice. So only family go in and out of each other's homes. Like home groups don't happen, because people, A, they don't have big enough living rooms in the low-rises, and, and B, they're a bit embarrassed. So we create open living rooms. We run free restaurants and free cafes, because uh, people can't afford to eat and heat, and sometimes both. Uh, three out of four people, despite existing measures, still can't heat their homes over winter. So people will freeze to death. That is not an exaggeration. Unless we do this, people will freeze to death. And one of my initiatives is Warm Welcome. Uh, we've set this thing up across the country. I've got 3,000 venues signed up, libraries, councils, to provide places of hospitality. But we're already doing that. So we have these open living rooms. And in them, you can get housing, benefits, uh, help, you can get all sorts of interventions and support and get a free bit of cake, cup of tea or a free hot lunch and an evening meal. And we have communion meals and all sorts of stuff. This bloke popped down there, 12 doors away from me, never been around my house. I'd seen him shuffling about a bit. He's about five years older than me. Uh, I found it was 55, 56 later. 
And he never looked me in the eye. Never looked me in the eye. And one day he popped into our open living room where we were running housing, benefits and money help. And to cut a long story short, it took a few weeks for me to get eye contact with him and talk to him. It turned out that he'd been 32 years in a parachute regiment and was a sergeant major. This is appropriate for Remembrance Day, I felt, to tell you this story. 32 years in a parachute regiment, he'd been a sniper and a pathfinder, and he was actually part of an elite rescue team. I didn't know these things existed. But apparently they had four men units, a few of them. And their job was to fly in the Chinook, which is a double twin rotor helicopter, in the heat of battle and pull out the wounded under fire. So they'd fly them in, they'd jump out the back, they'd sprint under fire and pull the guys out who were wounded who could be saved. He's also been a sniper and all that kind of stuff. So it turned out he had chronic PTSD, combat PTSD. In battle, he was fearless. Years later, he caught up with him. He had survivor guilt and survivor shame. And he was reliving a terror, a terror moment where the Chinook pilot had, had refused to land for good reason, 20 foot up in the air, and his mate, he was watching his mate in a Kajeki minefield. They made a film of it. His mate was lying on the ground, wounded. And my mate Sean is screaming at the pilot to land. And the pilot was refusing because the rate of fire coming down against him was so severe he wanted to get out of it. And Sean nearly jumped out 20 foot with all his kit on to get to his mate. And as he was leaning out of the Chinook, he watched his mate's body rise up in the air and then go down again. So he was laying on a mine. And he watched him get blown up. It turned out he'd been blown up a few times, shot a couple of times, had some shrapnel in him still, had this chronic PTSD, and they hadn't paid out his war pension. So he, he was in trouble financially, and desperation had got him out of his bedroom, living behind closed curtains. He came down, we were able to help him actually through our projects, and we were able to help him get his pension sorted, he's just in that still process now, um, and that was good. I got talking to him, we run all kinds of projects, part of what we do is being Jesus' hands and feet every day, we run a community garden, I said why don't you get involved, he got involved, and then I had a little idea on the uh, 24th of April, I was preaching at a church in Buckinghamshire. So I said, why don't you come with me, fella? We'll truck it down. I've got a truck, mountain truck. So get in the truck. We'll truck it down to Buckinghamshire. And then I've got some mates who are Christians, but they're mixed martial artists. They're going to do some kung fu stuff and batter each other, but they love the Lord. Come down. And he's like, ugh, all right. So I said, I've got to pick you up at six. He didn't do mornings. But I managed to get him out, and we, he cried all the way down. He's telling me his story. He cried. He wept over his McDonald's breakfast. He wept all over the truck. He, he wept in the church. And then we drove down to the mixed martial artists. And in retrospect, I thought, a guy with combat PTSD taking to Kung Fu is probably not a good idea. But anyway, he was fine. And then he met my mate Clive Elliott, who's a world-leading Kung Fu guy. And he went over to Sean in this place in Maidstone in Kent, with all these like fellas swilling beer and like everyone punching each other's lights out. And Clive's a trainer and he had a few, he was cornering for a few blokes. And he went, All right, Sean, he said, I heard you were coming. I met Jesus in the dojo on my knees before a fight. The, the other guy led me to Christ. I went from being a man of violence to a man of peace. Sean's like, Aren't you still a man of violence? <laughs> anyway, he's like, Wow, these guys really mean it. And then we trucked it back and I dropped him off at one in the morning. Long story short, he texts me the following morning. 
He said, I need to come and see you. It's eight o'clock. I need to come and see you. He said, come over, put the coffee on. We're not having much sleep. And he came over looking a bit shell-shocked. Never been in my house before. That's important. And he said, last night I had a dream. He said, did you? What is a dream? He said, it's really weird. He said he was vivid. There was a whiteboard standing next to a small chair in a rectangular room, like a hallway or something. And I said, right. And he went, yeah, and on the whiteboard is written, airborne soldier, identity and injustice. I said, wow. I said, I need to show you something. Because what he didn't know was, eight weeks earlier, I got up in the morning, like you do, and I was doing me readings, and the Lord spoke to me. It was really weird. I felt the Holy Spirit whispering to my heart, buy a whiteboard. It's the weirdest thing. Like, as you can see, I don't have much notes. I don't write anything down, really. And I bought it, 64 quid. <laughs> I mean, Karen became a Karen. She did. She was very unhappy. She said, what did you do that for? And I, I played it back to her. Well, I felt the Lord tell me. So, uh, <laughs> But that ain't your pipe and smoke it, sweetheart. So I bought a whiteboard, a set of uh, pens and a magnetic rubber. And it was all, I left it wrapped up in my office. Also, I'd recently bought a Facebook marketplace, a 20 quid, a leather chair. And they were both in my rectangular garden office. So I said to Sean, I need to show you something. So we got a coffee. We walked down my little garden path into my cabin in the garden. And he did, he actually dropped an F-bomb. So you weren't redeemed then. He went, me. I said, that's my dream. I went, right, right. I said, I think this is God speaking to you, mate. And he wrote down on my whiteboard, Airborne Soldier, Identity and Injustice. And we spoke for two hours. We spoke about how Jesus, when he died on the cross, took your shame and took your guilt and carried your sorrows and yours. And we talked about how he didn't die for mankind, like he heard in the army but actually died for him. And we talked it all through. And we talked about how being a power for 32 years wasn't who he was. That's what he did. But it wasn't his identity. That, that wasn't who he was. And we talked all these things through for two hours. Then we went for a walk in the woods that were outside my house. It's where everyone goes to smoke crack and read, actually. Often I like a bit of gardening, so I come in feeling fantastic after. <laughs> and uh, we went for a walk for two hours, and then we ended up standing by the bluebells. It's the 25th of April this year. And we're holding hands. And he gave his life to Jesus. And as he gave his life to Jesus, he looked up with tears streaming down his face. And he said something to me I'll never forget. He said, Carl, I can hear birdsong. And I went, what do you mean? Because you always hear bird song in the woods, right? And he went, since I saw my mate get blown up, I've not been able to hear any background noise. I haven't heard birds singing since 2016. He went, I can hear the birds singing. It's weeping. Then we went back, still puts a shiver down my spine. We went back to my cabin. And without any instruction, no prompt, he picked up, he actually unwrapped a board wrapper. 
and he wiped the board clean. Just like Jesus wipes your board clean. And without any prompt, he wrote down, Sean Partridge, son of God, father and friend. That whiteboard still has that written on it. I've not used it from that day. I don't write anything down. I'm lacking it up. It's going to hang in his workshop in his back garden. He's now one of our volunteers. He baptised me in a hot tub and had a burger. <laughs> it was a beautiful moment of triumph. I didn't want to put his face up on the screen, these characters, but I'll happily show you a photo of the whiteboard and the day he gave his life to Christ, and he is glowing. The follow-up is, two weeks ago, he came into our midweek Bible study, and, and he, was, he was just beaming. And I said, what's going on? He said, well, they give you all these tools and equipment as psychotherapy to deal with PTSD, and it's helpful, he said, but it doesn't work at night. At night, you're wide open. And you just get attacked. He said, demons attack you at night. That's what they say. Nothing can beat it. He said, something happened last night. I said, what's that? He said, I was reliving stuff. I was tossing and turning. I couldn't sleep. And I was getting feelings of terror and overwhelmed with anxiety. He said, in his words, this entity appeared in front of my, in me in this dream. And he said, and all these evil and wicked and terrible thoughts came through this entity. And in his words, became well-being. He said, and as it hit me, I just felt this love. He said, I've not felt like that since I got morphine when I got blown up. He said, I didn't want to wake up. He said, it's the first time I just felt love. All this horrible stuff just came through this entity and it was love. I went, do you think it was an angel or Jesus? He went, oh yeah, I didn't want to wake up. I said, how do you feel now? And he went, I feel amazing. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. He is the bread of life. It's why... It's why in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, Paul says, I determined to know nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified. I didn't come to you with eloquence of speech. I didn't come to you with any great learning. I just determined to know Christ and him crucified. And that's all I come to you with. Only Jesus can change your life. Only Jesus can change your destiny. Only Jesus can fix up your problems. Only Jesus can repair the breach in your family. Only Jesus can actually solve your work problems. Only Jesus is going to fix you 10,000 years from now. Nothing else. We are learning at the moment that our economy and everything is built on sand. There is one uh, currency, one of these kind of Bitcoin-type currencies, went from billions last week to nothing. In an instant, RTX or something, just went like that. Jesus prophesied these things. Do not build your life on sand. Place your feet on the rock. That's where joy is, that's where peace is, that's where security is. Nothing else. Honestly, nothing else. Put your faith in Christ. God bless you. Thank you for listening. 
further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.